was the month before Halloween, and all was a quiver. As Instagram bulged with makeup to shiver, painted skulls born from a makeup case, then did appear the zipper face. The monstrous beast whose logic defies a likely reason for cocaine in eyes placed scissor upon an eyeball's lid to fish for likes the influencer did. Yet to say other than platitudes many and great would seem to be as trolling bait. Avoid the placing of glass on skin Reject out of hand another's chagrin. The mountain of wax to hold it fast, avoiding the safer prosthetics to cast. Look to see the designs you'll discover. Listen ye now to battles with bits of rubber. <laughs> I will start just by saying um, um, the, the the Colin Farrell penguin makeup, which looked pretty cool to me. Um, Agreed. For the, the, new, the Batman movie. And I believe it's Mike Marino that designed it, who has done a whole ton of fucking awesome stuff. Oh, yeah, Colin Farrell like is complete, completely unrecognizable. Well, yeah, but it, it's a nice, realistic-looking character makeup. I mean, I don't know anything of the story of this story to know, you know, I'm sure it'll make sense. Cause like you, like we were saying, like it doesn't look very penguiny, mm -hmm. but that's, you know, within the context of the story, maybe they're not going with that kind of literal, you know, Danny DeVito thing, which looked cool, but it really um, reminds me of uh, a more, a rougher around the edges, uh, characterization of, of actor Richard kind. Yes. Yeah. 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 I would agree with that. <laughs> And who was amazing in Spin City, if you remember that show? Mm, funny, um, funny actor. Very, very cool. Um, so there's that. So the two things I really want to talk about is, uh, I guess they're a bit with the, with the cat plastic business. I want to talk about what I've seen uh, on, on some forums where people are posting pictures of flat molds particularly. And I've noticed there's, there's, there's varying degrees of distance between where the sculpt finishes and a cutting edge if one has been done begins because i'm of mm -hmm. the opinion that you don't want a lot of distance between the two and i have my reasons for that which we'll get into uh, i agree with you there but i i see a lot of of inconsistent where it might be four or five millimeters wide around part of the prosthetic and then might be get get to be close to an inch around on the other side you know that's it at least make it consistent well, yeah. I mean, the the thing is, I remember it was, I think it was Daniel Parker that kind of showed me how he done his uh, cutting edges. And it really stayed with me that, you know, his cutting edges were very, basically they mimic the shape of the sculpt precisely. Mm -hmm. So that, you know, you, you track around the outside very, very, you, you, you follow it exactly, um, you know, at a prescribed distance. And I kind of got into the habit of doing it quite tight. And I think with foam latex, you you would maybe go a little bit tighter because you you would have flashing that would remain but you didn't want the piece to extend out too far into the face no and with with silicone there is obviously 
a reasonable argument to be made for where you're going to dissolve away the acetone with acetone or alcohol you're going to dissolve away some of your cat plastic barrier so it's not as crucial in a way but i don't think especially for flat molds i don't think you need it to be too far away i think i i'm of the opinion that if you do a flat mold i i personally would do my cutting edge about three millimeters away from the edge of the sculpt that's where my cutting edge would be and i would do a cutting edge i know some people don't like doing cutting edges or they have alternatives but i still in the main like to do a cutting edge oh i, I do too especially pieces. with the encapsulated pieces because you can use the flashing as as a handle basically to make sure that you get positioned right and if you if you remove the flashing before you put it on you got to stand a good chance of that edge flopping over on itself and and sticking and then yep. you've got to try to fix that which can cascade into a clusterfuck real easy <laughs> a hot mess um yeah so you yeah absolutely you would want that and also for transporting you can pin it through there and and i know mm -hmm. you could use the cat plastic as that but here's the thing um it's a very specific example but if you were going to do a piece where it had to finish below the eyebrow and above the upper eyelids eyelashes so it's a swollen eyepiece so it's a very specific distance and that can't vary a few millimeters each time so you'd want that you know that that the size of that piece prescribed in the sculpture in the cutting edge so each mm -hmm. piece that comes out has that on it and then that way there's no way of you straying into the hair now i know you could make pieces with massive amounts of cat plastic and then dissolve them off but if you know you're going to dissolve them off why the fuck would you put them there in the first place <laughs> if because especially with just with a bigger, waste of cat plastic well yeah it's a waste but it's also a waste of mold so if you've got like you know using the rule of pi do you know what i mean if you have you know a, a, a wound that that measures two inches in diameter that's a lot of cutting edge you know you're looking at about six inches of cutting edge so to go out another half an inch is probably going to add another you know another sort of 100 grams of silicone on your mold so it means your mold is much bigger than it needs to be and then every piece you get out of it will also be mm -hmm. massive and here's the thing when you with silicon molds when you scrape them at the back so you've sprayed your cat plastic in or you brushed your cat plastic in that's dried you pour in your silicon you scrape off the excess the act of scraping sufficiently will compress the silicon mold and a lot of times you, yeah yeah and if the silicon is is very soft then it will compress more than if it's a hard silicon so you're going to easily be able to have a bigger cutting edge distance between where the silicon finishes and where the cat plastic finishes just by how much pressure you put in the mold and you may want to do that deliberately if you've got a wound that's healing for example so you've got a cut that's in reduced thickness so it's the same sculpt but it's slightly less filled you could you know deliberately scrape it out but it just means that you you're going to end up with a bigger amount of cat plastic as a perimeter than you originally sculpted so that's why i would start with something as close as three mil because i know it's going to get bigger than that when i scrape it Right. So I wouldn't want to start with it half an inch away because then it's going to be, you know, you'll end up with the piece more flashing than there is piece. And then if you're going to melt it away anyway, and here's the thing, if you stick it down and your silicon is the good color, you might not actually be able to see where your silicon is. So you may end up straying accidentally into the silicon 
when you're melting away your edge, mm-hmm. which again, I don't tend to do that. When yeah, I melt yeah, my yeah. edges away, I, I melt away. I'm, I'm, I'm separating the flashing from the cat plastic. I'm not <clears throat> dissolving all of the cat plastic away. I right. want the cat plastic to be there. I just don't want my flashing to be there. So um, hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, but, no, yeah. I, it's melt away closer to the flashing than to the piece. Yeah, I think so. Well, I'll put some pickies up on, on the on the, the blog post to go with that to kind of show what we mean. And then people will be like, what are we talking about? Um, so there's that. And then the other thing, which is a bit of a weird one, is we did something for the Crown a couple of years ago, and they they didn't use it. They didn't not use it because it was shit. They didn't use it because they changed the story and the character wasn't in it, really. So his thing that we did for it, you don't really see in it at all, which was a shame. But it was a couple of days filming and there was a really, really nice thing on his hands and wrists. So you got a lot of, you know, the wrist is, is moves a lot. The mm. fingers move a lot. So there's a lot of mobility in the hand. And then what, what what was happening is in between the fingers near the knuckles, it actually detached. It was a big, thick piece because it was like a big swelling. And um, it it detached. And what what it was really was that the, the cap plastic was still stuck to the hand, but the silicon on the back had separated away. So it basically delaminated halfway through the day. So you had to rip the back open to get in there to apply silicon glue to stick it back down. So what I did was when I ran my other pieces, I ran them as normal. I needed the cap plastic on the core to be able to get it out of the mold, but I purposefully removed the cat plastic from the back of the hand in order to have bare silicon there. And then that bare silicon, I stuck down to the skin with telesis and then it, it worked great. And then did we had no peel it off problems. or did you, did you melt it? Melted off. Yeah. I used uh, cotton pads with acetone and just melted it away in prescribed areas and it worked fine. It was great. So I was using silicon glue anyway. So that was an effective thing, but it got me thinking about, some examples of when you might not want cat plastic on the back of your piece at all. It was prompted by someone on a forum today in the 911. Yeah. I was asking about it. I thought, oh, that's a really good point. Because if there was a way of not having cat plastic on the back, actually, I think you'd have a better result. Well, one advantage of not having cat plastic on the back is if, if you're deadening your silicone enough, if it's really, really soft, it's going to be really sticky. Mm. And you you have an option of possibly not even needing to use adhesive to to lay the piece down and then you can essentially it could be could be a reusable piece Mm. if if the edges haven't been fucked up yeah that's a tricky one isn't it because if it's sticky enough to stay on the skin it's getting out of the mold but you know what we used to do before it was um the cat plastic was if it's a if it's a flat mold getting it out of the mold is going to be easy because you've got cat plastic on the front yeah you just grab a hold of the cat plastic and peel it out Right. Because what I remember what we used to do with uh, when we used A and B, straight silicon A and B with gel 10, mm-hmm. was you'd stipple the, the A and B on the surface of the mold and the core. But what we would use as a, as a release agent was uh, like watered down dishwashing detergent. So you'd stipple on a few layers of that and dry it, then stipple your A and B on, assemble your mold and inject it. And then when the piece came out, how you would get the mold open was you would undo all the bolts because it was fiberglass molds bolted together. Then you would immerse the fiberglass mold in a massive tub of water for like 10 minutes. And then what would happen is the water would then creep in, reactivate the soap on the surface of the mold of the core. And you would slide your piece out underwater. Uh, But it wasn't a particularly sticky surface because it was silicon 
mm-hmm. surface, but it was a, a pure A and B. So these, so the dead and silicon that you'd injected in the mold bonded very well to the skin, which was silicon A and B. And then because you were using soap, you'd basically remove it underwater. And because of their fiberglass molds and cores, they weren't affected by moisture. Yeah. Because fiberglass was pretty much the standard material that we use all the time. Certainly, yeah, with they make boats out of it. They make boats out exactly. Uh, but we we tended to not use much plaster here in the same way that I know in the states. Everyone has. I think it, we've been through this before. It's because I think the gypsum here isn't as good. So, and we have a lot of water around the yeah. island. So there's there's a lot of boats building. So um, you just got to so make think, sure you rinse the piece to get all the soap off. And yeah, exactly right. It but works, then you would it put works that, great. I've I've done that before. Yeah, so I'm thinking you could do that. You could put KY jelly on a core and dry that, or you could use soap or whatever. And then basically don't um, don't spray cat plastic on the core. Just spray it onto the mold, get your piece out, and then when the piece is out, immerse it in water and get it out. I think the only problem might be some cat plastics go cloudy when they get wet. So I think it might be the IPA cat plastic doesn't, and maybe the acetone one does. I'm not sure. But yeah, it's a, it's a thought. It got me thinking. Hmm, how easy that would be to do. So I feel like I should try and do that at some point. But there's typically not much of a, a reason to not put cat plastic on the back, other than like you were saying, it sticks better to the skin than it does the piece. So when you're removing it, you find you you think you've yeah. got the piece off, and then you see the cat plastic stuck still down. Uh, and then yeah, that's that's a pain to pain to have to remove. Yeah, it is. So, I, I mean, I used to always spray cat plastic on the back of my flat molds all the time because I was, and we have on record when we recorded our glue, you know, the first episode of the podcast, mm-hmm. you know, four or five years ago, um, when, you know, we were saying, you know, you've got to put cat plastic on the back if you want to use prosade. But I think you can sort of use prosade if the back of the piece is sticky, like you're saying, because it's tacky enough. But the other thing is, I think the silicon needs to be soft enough. If the, if the piece is sufficiently deadened, not only would it be tacky enough, but also it will move well to the skin. Yeah, so it's not going to – won't run the risk of peeling off because it's too firm. Exactly right, yeah, because if, if the piece can't stretch as much as the skin is stretching, then that's when you, you know, find it, you know, sticks and peels off. And it's not the, the fault of the glue. It's the fact the piece is too stiff to begin with, so – yeah, well, yeah. another disadvantage of, of doing cat plastic across the back is if you've put in the sufficient number of layers in the negative for the front, you know, mm. six layers, eight layers, however it is, depending on how how thin you've sprayed it, putting several more layers across the back is going to increase the thickness of your flashing, making it that much more difficult to, to melt invisibly. Yeah, that's yeah. a tricky one, that. Yeah, you you end up like you say with with a much much thicker edge. I mean, I guess you could do fewer layers on the front, knowing you're going to do that on the edge. But you want that thickness on the front to be able to handle the piece. Mm-hmm. It's a tricky one. It's a tricky one because it's very hard to spray the center of the piece and avoid accumulating extra layers on the edge. Um, well, I'm sure. Do- I'm sure there are some people talented enough out there who could do it. I I don't count myself among them. <laughs> but I was saying about how uh, your, I mean, I always used to spray cat plastic on the back of my flat pieces just out of habit. And then uh, I think it was Neil Gorton that uh, on a forum that mentioned he hadn't, and I was quizzing him on it. And it, I, I tried it and was like, oh my God, I'm never going to put cat plastic on the back of my pieces again. This is, or the flat pieces anyway. It's so much easier to not uh, have to deal with that because I've noticed if you spray cat plastic into a mold and let it dry, 
you can pour your silicon in that and liquid silicon will bond to cured cat plastic. But if the silicon has dried overnight, if it's cured overnight, and then you spray your cat plastic on the back, mm-hmm. there's a good chance that the, the liquid cat plastic doesn't bond to the cured silicon. Yeah, unless you use something like, um, you know, a light misting of, you know, the 3M77 spray cement or or some thin telesis, which you can actually, I th- think you can actually use telesis thinner as a primer. Uh, could work, or you can use this this stuff called ProBond Primer. Yes, that would be a good one. <laughs> that'll stick like shit that, to a blank. That would work. The that'll that'll stick really well. I mean, I've I've actually glued lids that I keep the keep the ProBond in. You know, these Nalgene bottles. If you get a little of the ProBond on the threads. And close close the lid without wiping it off, and it let it dry. You can have a hell of a time sometimes getting that lid off. Oh, that's good. Even without any silicon being involved, it still bonds yeah. well. Yeah. Oh, wow. Oh, that's good to know. Uh, yeah. So that would do the thing. But so so when you're spraying the the cat plastic on the back of the piece, you kind of have to time it right. You can't let the silicon completely cure. You have to get it just as it's setting i think right just as it's set which may be like an hour long window where you've got to stay with it and it's quite nice to be able to you know fill your mold scrape it and then just walk away you know i tend to do those things last thing at night so have have a good have a good digital timer so you can do something else instead of having to babysit it for an hour yeah exactly right yeah yeah you got to do it at a time it's one of those things if you've done it you know, you can't, you can't just, just, just leave it or you could spray it, but you'd have to spray it in the time and you know, you're going to resent sitting there just doing that. But once you've got that sprayed, um, it should be fine. But yeah, I, I tend to not do it now. I tend to use just a silicon glue on the back and then it sticks well. But the other thing, what was the other thing? What do you do uh, uh, in terms of transporting the piece? Uh, since it's, it's got a, an open sticky back, how do you prevent cat hair and lint and dust particles from 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 getting caught in it i tend to do what i do with my um prosade adhesive pieces i tend to just powder them when they're dry and then wipe all that away when i'm ready to use it that makes so sense that it's i mean it works very well with with pro bondo pieces um actually this is a good point because i've I, i'm not sure if this is a, a a uk us thing this might be an interesting one but do you guys apply like pro Bondo pieces or you know PTM pieces direct from the mold much or is it always done as like a transfer onto acetate and then into the the paper? I've I've haven't been brave enough to try doing it straight out of the mold yet because I think that happens a lot over in the UK, <clears throat> yeah, more so than the paper stuff I think. But the trick is to use a softer silicone, so we use something like seventy three fifteen, which is a little more pliable. Yeah, was that, it like a like a twenty shore? It's a 15 sure. Yeah. 15. So yeah. And it's nice and kind of almost water clear. It's very, very fluid. It's got like a three or four hour set at kind of that very average room temperature. You don't have to rush with it. You can degas it if you want, but it also, it bends around the contours of the face much nicer than a stiffer silicone. So that in that instance, I think if you're doing uh, prosade transfers, I personally think a softer silicone is nicer. What do you um, use as a release in the mold? Well, I've been using dab which is the PTM yeah, stuff. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good. 
But the other thing I've done as an absolute guarantee is I will spray in um, green marble into oh. mold first as a, as a kind of a temporary seal. Then I put the, the prosade stuff in. Sometimes if it's got a lot of detail, I'll just put liquid prosade in first. Matthew Mungle uses, uses his, uh, his sealer. Do you know what? His sealer will probably be even better, actually. I would, yeah, maybe go with that. But I'll tell you what I was doing. So I put the, 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 so he the doesn't even freeze in. them. He just lets, he just sprays in his sealer, um, puts the pro bondo in, scrapes it off, and just lets it air dry. Okay. Rather than freezing okay. it. Okay. So you, yeah, so you can either freeze it or not, but the, the beauty is you don't then have to transfer it from the mold. And I think a lot of this is from the fact that because you and I make molds, and if we need to make 10 molds or duplicate it, we can do that very easily. Then if I know I've got to run 10 sets, I don't feel the need to transfer it to paper because I can just make 10 molds. I don't need to reuse that mold another nine times. Do you know what I mean? Right. So yeah. there's no imperative for me to, to, to make that mold vacant, but also, um, yeah, I will, if I, I, I was putting, um, I was putting in green marble in the mold first, letting that dry or blow dry it. Then I would put in a little bit of prosade to catch all the fine detail. If there was really fine detail, yeah. let that dry. Then I would scrape it with PTM and then freeze it. And then take it out of the mold and let it dry. It might take a week to dry. You know what that stuff's like. It's, you know, sure. it can take a long time to dry. And then when you're ready to use it, you could transfer it. One one of the ways I transported it was to, I put the molds, you know, prosade side up in a pizza box. I arranged them in this pizza box and I mixed up a slow setting urethane resin and poured it around the molds. Oh. And let that set. And then in the morning, you know, the, the molds are not shifting. And then when you're done, you can put the mold back in exactly the right hole. So it holds it the right shape. Um, but it means, you know, which ones you've used and which ones you haven't, you know, if you've got to refill them, it's quite nice to know which ones and they go back in the same place. Like, I really like that. I've got a, I've got a bunch of pizza boxes that I use for, for exactly the same, same purpose, but I have to, I'll have to try that. Yeah. It worked when, out really well. When you put the green marble in, do you, do you spray it or do you stipple it in? Oh, I was stippling it in. That's what I meant to say. I was stippling it in. And then what would happen is when you applied the piece, inevitably, the green marble didn't flex like the silicon would flex. So what would happen is you'd peel it out and you'd have all these flaky bits of green marble. But then I just spritz it with, with IPA alcohol um, and, and move that around with a sponge and it, yeah. would, it would just break down and disappear. But what it did was it gave you a, a layer of something that definitely would prevent the cat plastic, uh, the, the pro bondo from sticking to the molds because I've nice. had instances where even though silicon should release everything, if it's a fresh mold, particularly, you know, you might find that you've run a mold. It's only six hours old. You fill it with pro bondo and you leave it for a week. So it's had glue in there more time than it's not mm -hmm. had glue in it. And there are, there is a danger where it, it just kind of sticks. So by putting something physical is a barrier between the two, something that you can break down with alcohol. Um, it pretty much guarantees it will come out. I would do that as well as the dab as well. And also you get the hyro slip stuff that you can add to your silicone so that it, as a material, it's, it's, it's more releasey. Cause I've yeah. noticed as I'm sure you have that the, 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 the platinum silicones tend to be much drier silicones. There's not any oil that leaches out of them. So as a result, they tend to be less releasey. Whereas mm -hmm. the tin molds give it up easy. So, but you're not really yeah. supposed to. Be you know, Smooth on. Smooth on has a, I, I'm totally spacing on the name of it. It's, it's like the, the high row slip, you know, that you can put in the silicone. It's yes. The hair, the release. It's, it's the release. You can use, you can use that 
in this, the same way you use dab in a mold to release right. it. Okay. It works. It works fine. Shit. That's going to bug me now. I've got some in the cupboard. I know exactly what yeah, I mean. It's, I, it's the yeah, stuff no, you add to, uh, to, to, to the, to the, to the, to the, to the uh, body. Yeah, hang on. I, I've got to go get the bottle. I, driving <laughs> me nuts. I'll be right back. So we'll be back shortly after this minor interlude of music. Stuff is called hyperfolic. Hyperfolic. There we go. <laughs> Thank you. Brain, that would have irritated me. <laughs> I was the same though. I've got uh, something. I can't remember. Um, yeah. So you could put something like that in the mold first to uh, to try. I guess you could try. I have done in the past on, on budget stuff. Was try baby oil. A little bit of baby oil, but I wouldn't use more than about ten percent. Yeah. Because it leaches out the mold like a bastard. However. That's not a necessarily a bad thing if you want stuff what to come out of the mold. Mineral oil also <laughs> might work. Yeah, maybe. Could try that. But cash it's one of those weird oil. Yeah, it's one of those weird things where you'd think it would not stick. Sorry, that it yeah, that it would come out easy, but curiously sometimes nope. it does bond. And yet if you had a piece that was, you know, a bit stiff that was pure silicon and you try to blue, glue it on with prosade, you'd find the prosade would peel right off. It's annoying, yep. isn't it? But um, yeah, that is one of those curious things about silicon. I mean, yeah, the notion of making things pieces you only amazing. learn after having done it for a while. Yeah, that's a weird it's, one. It's somewhat counterintuitive. So I was thinking about what, uh, some of the things that I've learned uh, since the last time we spoke. I've been using my Photon S printer. I sculpted up some teeth for a makeup I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to make those the teeth really good. Thanks, man. I, I, I wanted to make the teeth look real. And I also figured that sculpting them manually would take longer. So I thought I'd spend a little bit of time sculpting in ZBrush. And I think in about two hours, I sculpted about five or six different shapes of fang. Yeah. And, tooth. and then obviously you then just flip it. So you've got a left and a right. And then I printed them on my Photon S, which took like three hours to do a complete set of teeth, like 12 set, 12 teeth, uh, you know, six different pairs. And then I did another set that I printed and in the slicer software, I just changed the scale on some of the teeth. So I made Mm -hmm. some bigger, some smaller and then printed another set. So basically within about seven hours, I sculpted, you know, a set of teeth and printed out two different versions and I had 24 different teeth, you know, in immaculate detail within you know, half a day. And I'm like, that is a very efficient use of time. And I felt sure, very and good. While, and while that's printing, you can be doing something. Yeah. Else. While it's printing, I'm doing something else. Yeah, exactly. I was eating dinner while the second set was running. So it was like, it was like the first time where I'd really use something for something that I would have otherwise have done another way. And then basically what I did with the teeth, the, the, the time consuming thing was, here's the thing. I want to have these teeth in the makeup. So what I did was I took those resin prints they didn't need much in the way of sanding. They need a tiny bit of finishing or some of them. And then what I did was I glued uh, a wire to the tip of each tooth to make it in the, a riser. 
And then I molded them in a block of silicon and then basically sliced them to get them out. And then the idea was I would then take those teeth back and use the hard teeth I printed as teeth shapes in the sculpt. So the gums would go around the teeth bases assigned, you know, each tooth a, a specific point. And then I'm going to put some hard silicon into the silicon mold I've made of the teeth so that I can actually cast out some semi-rigid teeth in silicone. So they're going to be nice tooth color. They can be translucent. I can paint them, but I can then stick them into the finished silicon appliance, which will be skin color or gum color. And yeah. so, do you know what I mean? They'll be the right kind oh, of cool. look. And Very they, nice. she won't be able to bite her face accidentally because the teeth aren't hard. So, but they're, they're harder than the piece. So they'll look like real teeth. So, um, awesome. So I, how, I was do you really like, how do you like the resin printer? Well, I went for the longest time hating it because everything I was printing was going wrong. And I, I found on a forum where I was going wrong. It was because I was overexposing mm, uh, too much. <laughs> <laughs> I was, uh, I, well, I thought that like, oh, you know, five seconds, five to eight seconds was optimum per layer. So there's me like an idiot going, well, I'm sure 30 seconds would be even better. So I would, you know, each layer I put on for 30 seconds and you just leave it running overnight. What do I care if it's four hours or six hours? Um, and then it turned out that basically, obviously, the length of time the light was spilling out and fusing. So fine detail was merging. Uh, so I changed it to, you know, like five seconds. And suddenly all these prints were coming out crystal clean. And in like a third of the time, it was brilliant. So um, so that was really good fun. So I've started really enjoying it. Well, and, I've got um, a resin printer coming. Yes, you said. Which which brand yeah. is it? It's a uh, Frozen. Uh, it's coming from China. Nice. Uh, you know, my, my Chinese pals uh, called Frozen uh, 4K Mini. Mm -hmm. It's got a pretty nice, nice build size. Uh, the detail on it is sick. You know, prints I've seen coming off of it. But I won't have it for a while yet. It's some toward the end of November is when it's going to ship. Okay. So maybe I'll have it in time for Christmas. Who knows? Well, that'd be nice. Well, I just invested in a little uh, curing chamber yeah. for po post-curing. Because I think because of the rapid speed you want the layers to go, it, it kind of comes out a little bit gummy or a little bit mm. tacky. So you can put it in this post-cure chamber to kind of blast it with UV. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to figure out more. But I'm just trying to figure out what I can do with it because I want to make some molds with it. But I don't Rod necessarily... Rod Maxwell is you know, the guy to talk to. Well, yeah, he's been doing some amazing things where yeah, he, he, used, he fitted one guy. nose over another, yeah. didn't he? He's been doing stuff with a scanner and and um, doing age progressions from from different life scans he's had done of himself over the years and being able to transition from young Rod to old Rod, which yeah, it's pretty pretty crazy. Well, it seems like he's doing something that not anyone else has done you know like that he took that one nose and then stuck it on this another nose and then made it into yeah. an appliance then printed the molds and well that's quite exciting yeah. so i, I don't mean, have a really stand. neat piece for the third edition of my book but he has advanced so much since that that contribution uh yeah. we should we should probably get a hold of him and and have a little squadcast conversation 
I think that'd be a great idea. I think we need to track him down and, and, and get talking to him. Cause I think he seems to be at the vanguard of, of getting this done. Him, him and Kazu seem to be doing some uh-huh. really interesting things with scanning and, and fitting. And see the trouble with the scanning business is there's the, there's, you know, the stereolithography stuff, which is good, but it's the scanning, the handheld scanners. They're just so expensive. Like the good ones are shockingly expensive, like 25, yeah. 30,000. And it's like, I would love one of those. And I, I guess eventually they'll they'll come down in price like everything, you know. The first cameras mm-hmm. are pretty expensive, but but it's just like it's a game changer because this is a thing for me is using a three D printer to print something that is going to fit a person exactly. That's yeah. where there's a bit of a weirdness with regards to scale, like how you scale stuff up. Because by and large, scale doesn't seem to, like CAD is good. Like if I do something in Fusion and I specify it's thirty six millimeters wide in Fusion. Then that's that what it's transferred to the print but it's very hard to know like to mimic and replicate curvatures of a cheekbone for example and expect it to be right and you can do it to some degree very successfully life cast and stuff but as you'll know you get distortions with life cast the weight of the material yeah. pushes down on the face and changes it and it's now in a rigid material looking it's the scale thing distorted. that i think is is probably where where zbrush needs to, to up their game because you can scan something and you get it up. It's scale is, is the, the variable. Yes. That needs to be addressed both with the, the handheld scanners and, and in ZBrush. If you want something to be truly life size. Yes. Cause it's just taking shape, isn't it? And, and typically yeah. for, 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 for most digital sculpts, if it's just a, you know, a sculpture, it doesn't really matter the scale. You just need to know, like if you're going to print an object, you just may need to know the, you know, the width of the door so you can get it in, mm-hmm. or, you know, the height of the ceiling. Right. And so long as you, you, you know, those are pretty basic parameters, but to, to replicate curvatures of one thing and to have them marry up on the other side, exactly. That's a different kettle of fish. And that's something where I guess you do need that level of accuracy, which might be, you know, beyond most, pockets because <laughs> that's that's a hefty sum but maybe in 10 years it won't be you know maybe in 10 years it'll be bog standard you know it's just always the 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 the, the you know the new stuff that comes out that tends to be you know who would have known that drones would be a thing 20 years ago right you know? and they would have been ferociously expensive and now they're you know or us being able to have a, a real-time conversation with video yeah uh, several thousand miles away from each other yeah, exactly. So, you know, it all comes around. But I want to be, I don't know, I want to play with that stuff because it feels like you should know the software even if you're not going to produce anything extensive with it. So there was that. Now, there's another podcast I wanted to mention to you. It's a filmmaking podcast, and I got in touch with the guy. I was so impressed. Yeah. Uh, it's called, uh, I'll tell you who it was. It was, uh, it was Kiana Freakmo Jones who oh, me on, onto this. Yeah, she... Yeah. She told me about this. It's the the podcast is called Red Carpet Rookies, and it's done by a guy called Mike Battle. And episode number five, which I'll put a link to this on here, is with Bill Corso, and oh. he is talking about his digital makeup company in this episode. And it's a really really fucking good episode. So I strongly recommend you check that out. I will. I will. The link. But it's a really interesting one because I've heard a lot about his company, but I've not heard him speak specifically about it. And it's really interesting because he's talking about how 
you know, when things get done digitally, it is the digital department doing it. They're not makeup artists making makeup decisions. Mm. And so he kind of took that as a kind of a thing where maybe makeup artists should be doing stuff digitally so that when digital corrections happen, it's done by somebody that actually knows, you know, what a mouse cell wave is or what lipsticks you look like in the twenties or do you know what I mean? So you, you actually have some kind of informed hand behind it, which is a brilliant idea. So it's a good episode. I will put that up. Um, but it's a good, ep- it's a really nice, I, I, I got in touch with the guy because I've really enjoyed the episode. I've listened to a couple and they're fantastic. And it's just, you know, another guy, he just, really cares about the subject and is putting a lot of effort into disseminating useful information. And he's getting some really good guests on there, like production designers and costume Super. people and all sorts. So I would recommend that red carpet rookies it's called. Um, so that was a good one. Um, so yeah, I've enjoyed my 3d printer. That was good. I haven't used much more of the PLA printers, but I have to say that's that the plastic that you recommended to me was fantastic. Yeah, polymakers, polymaker is the shit. Yeah, and they have like a little marker on the on the spool to let you know when how much is left weight wise, which is really useful. Yeah, which I like that. Um, yeah, so that's what I've been up to. Um, so that's cool. I don't really know if I've got anything else more to waffle about, but maybe that's enough for now. For now, but I want to do another one uh, later in the week. I discovered something today that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know to happen to notice it by seeing one of the behind the scenes photos by a couple of the hosts who were doing the after party for this book fest uh, yesterday that they had a one, one of them uh, had a DSLR set up in front of her computer monitor using it as the camera for the, for the zoom cast that we did yesterday evening I said hmm. well, then there's got to be a way I can hook up my M50 to the computer and and use that have have a nice four, a nice 4k camera with yeah. with different lenses and it works so all you got to do is download this EOS webcam utility from the Canon website install it and you can use your camera, use the M50. We can both use our M50s mm-hmm. just by hooking up a USB cable. That's fantastic. Then I will try that. Yeah. You sent me the link. I've, I've, I've downloaded it, but I didn't want to connect it now, but I'm going to have a little play with that. That yeah. could make um, classes. So I did a couple of, uh, online tutorial things. And often when you're trying to show somebody in close up, what happens is I film it on my M50 separately Mm -hmm. so that i actually have some high def footage i can show them later because otherwise you're stuck at the whatever bandwidth your viewer is observing you on so to actually have a good camera connected to that would be great yeah could be a game changer i think so because i can't get very close to this This is an old webcam i've got and webcams are not amazing cameras typically so um you know that would be a really handful handy useful thing to do which is cool so yeah, I've, I've, I've been, yeah, it's been a busy old time and I've done, you know, a couple of these jobs again, I can't really talk about them, but we'll, well, one of them, you know, about, cause I've been showing you the progress of one, but the, the other things have been a bit, you know, hush, hush. However, uh, yeah, once, once I've got clearance on those, I'll, I'll reveal all, but yeah, it's been great fun doing the teeth and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, well, I think the, our viewers, those, those who haven't given up on us will love seeing that. I hope so. And I do apologize. 
it's a cool sculpt. Yeah, man. I do apologize for the length of delay. It's been one of those things where life becomes so all consuming or the jobs. Like I had a, a three week teaching stint where I was teaching, I was out the house like 12 hours a day and it was just like, it's just not possible. Plus running another job at the same time and having zoom meetings late in the evening. And it just, there wasn't any time. I wasn't realistic to be able to sit and record. It was horrific. So. Oh, it's good that you've got, got stuff going on. Yeah, it you is get, nice. You get but, to stay in your house. Yeah. But I like to, to do this. I mean, I really, really enjoy doing these podcasts and I, I'd hate for anyone to think that when it's not happening, it's because we can't be asked doing it. And it is not that at all because we've got guests lined up. We've got plans to do lots of things. And I think this week, this next couple of weeks, I haven't much going on. We can do a few more. Yeah. So we'll do that. I've got half term. The kids are off school. It's how shit is this? You've got Halloween on Saturday. It's a full moon. Mm-hmm. Uh, the kids are off school all week and like, it's COVID lockdown time. So like no one can go anywhere or do anything. It's, is that just the shittiest? Yeah. I haven't been able to figure out if, if, if I should be expecting trick or treaters in our neighborhood or, or not, I'm going to, I'm probably going to do something anyway. Yeah. And if, and if nobody comes to the door, then I'll have plenty of candy to, fattening me up for a long cold winter ahead <laughs> and you get to do a fun makeup anyway <laughs> yeah so uh, which, you- is, which is always interesting i i've been i did a a two-day zoom class with the denver school of the arts this week uh with seventh and eighth graders in their theater program and we did a wounds and and zombie uh, makeup and I was showing them some old school techniques because they all got the the little Ben Nye theater kit that they get they get a little tin of of nose and scar wax and they get some spirit gum and they get you know a smattering of of things to to work with so I was showing them things that they could use do their out of the kit stuff with including cotton using cotton and tissue one ply tissue paper mm-hmm. so I did a I showed them how to do do a, a wax cut, which they really liked. And you can get some really good results with, with wax for some things, uh, as you know. Uh, and then I did a, a buildup of, of cotton and tissue to, you know, building up the, the around the, the zygomatic bone and doing all that stuff. Well, I'm blind as a bat without my glasses up close and <laughs> trying to, trying to glue this stuff on my face while looking at a blur on the monitor in front of me, you know, in my iPad had to be comical, but it it didn't, it didn't honestly didn't, didn't turn out too shitty. Yeah. Uh, That's awesome, man. But I just, it was, it was tough. I didn't, I managed not to poke myself in the eye with a glue brush. That was, that was a plus. (laughs) That's very, and you'll be able to use your M50 to forget nice, your Canon nice close-ups, yeah. get some good footage. Yeah. Now, now that I know I can, yeah, definitely. Well, that's cool. So, hey, this makeup I've been sculpting um, on and off over the last couple of weeks that I did the teeth for. Um, I was trying to get into the Halloween mood, and I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and a lot of like you know factual stuff. And I thought I need to listen to some more novels. So I, I, I listened in the last couple of weeks. I listened to Salem's Lot. And I listened mm-hmm. to The Exorcist, which if you have Audible, I strongly recommend you get The Exorcist. It's fucking amazing. 
William yeah. Peter Blatty well, reads it. He reads it. Cool. He reads it, but he does a great job of reading it. Not every author should read their work necessarily because they're not good speakers, though. But yeah, um, yeah it was I love amazing. To listen to Neil Gaiman read his stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, he's got a good voice. And again, they know they know the material well enough to know what to emphasize and what not to. Because mm-hmm. if they're performers as well, that that would be good. I mean, I listened to the 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 Salem's Lot one. I listened to Stephen King uh, did an you know an intro, and he explained about the origins of the book and where you know how he kind of came up with it and all this kind of stuff. And he was good to hear his voice, but I wouldn't want him to read the book. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> nothing against him. It was just like, mm, yeah. but uh, the the guy that read it was fantastic. But uh, yeah, it was a really good week. It was. Like, it reminds me of the time in a in a in the same couple of weeks I read I Am Legend followed by Day of the Triffids, and that was like that left me a little bit shell shocked for a while. <laughs> so, <laughs> I had the same thing with this. It was like you know uh, vampires. Yeah, you you don't want to go around turning off any lights. You just want to leave everything in the house turned on exactly there was a bit of that going on have you watched on netflix have you watched the the haunting of bly manor no that's quite good fun it's kind of like not really a follow-on but it's a very similar kind of it's the same production people i think a lot of the same actors from the haunt the haunting on house hill of hill house oh okay which was quite fun there's some interesting yeah. accents in there but uh it's 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 um yeah it's it was cool so there was some really spooky shit in that too so that was that was fun. So yeah, I just got my spook on. I thought if I'm not going to have parties or we're not allowed people around all that kind of stuff, I'm going to try and fix up somewhere else. So uh, yeah. yeah, I've been getting into my the horror. Boys like, like the scary stuff? Well, sort of. I mean, I, I like the whole being fra- afraid thing and so does Jamie, but the others not so much. So it's one of the things yeah. where I have to try and, I can't like, no one's going to want to watch. And I really want my kids to watch the exorcist anyway. I mean, aside from the horror stuff, there's some pretty, vicious stuff in there that i'm not prepared to discuss with a 13 year old <laughs> but um but uh uh the um the the, the atmosphere of the books are really really good because obviously the, the the production like tv like like salem's lot the tv show scared the shit out of the you know the the, the david soul and well, yeah. you know, that movie with with um you know the reggie nelder um barlow mate that scared the living crap out of me and it still gives me like when you know it's creeping up when he when he sort of opens the cell door and goes in and all that kind of stuff it's still oh the exorcist still gets me oh it's terrifying i mean it's really scary to me i mean i know people maybe watch it and laugh now but i i, I take it yeah. on, on its word kind of thing you know and you just let it you know i saw when i saw the exorcist in the theaters when it first came out in 71 i think mm-hmm. people literally were running screaming out of the theater yeah. Nobody'd ever seen anything like that. No, it's terrifying. It's re- and the book is unsettling. I mean, I think that's the thing. It's unsettling. The Amityville Horror was that was an unsettling book for me. I haven't read that. That I one. Maybe. That one. That one uh, bothered me quite a bit. Maybe I'll, I'll listen to that one next because that was another one of those movies that I saw the movie, the original one. Uh, you know, not long after the movie it came didn't out. didn't the movie didn't unsettle me as much as the book did. No. Yeah. Well, I think the thing is, I watched it when I was quite young, so for me, it was more about the sort of visuals. You know, what I mean, it was all the flies mm-hmm. and the voice saying "get out" and all that shit. Yeah. Uh, that that I lapped that up. But now, when I read, like when I was listening to, I say read, but you know, when it was read to me, um, you know, um, The Exorcist and things, there was so many like subplots in it and things which. Had, 
really creepy now as an adult, which add to it. So the, you know, the demonic possession stuff was, was, you know, what we all sort of know and you've seen a lot of, but there's, there's a ton of other stuff in it. That's really, yeah, just really gripping, good, good suspense. And that's builds and builds and builds. You can get away with that stuff in the novel that, but you can't put it in the movie because it's not really advancing the story. So they've got to, got to cut that stuff. Other, otherwise you're going to have a six and a half hour movie. Yeah. Well, so I'm going to write that down. So Amazon, any other good um, horror books that you've read that you think are, are worth the time? Oh, well, the stand of is, is a, is a favorite of mine. Okay. I've seen the TV's version. You know, the one that um, Steve Johnson did make up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a good story as I recall. I don't remember. Well, they, all they, of sh- it. they shot it. They shot a lot of that here. Oh, really? Yeah. That's cool. Cause a lot, cause a great deal of it takes place in Colorado. Oh, right. Not all in Maine this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but The Stand is a is a terrific book. Fantastic. Cujo is also a great book because you, you get inside the dog's head and it's really hard to to portray those thoughts on film Okay, when you, you're really inside the dog's head in the book. I didn't realize that was perspective because I remember thinking yeah. I've not seen Cujo. It's one of those things that maybe makes not a great movie like Christine. It's like, well, how scary is a fucking car? But I guess if you see yeah. it from, from the car's point of view, maybe, I don't know. I haven't seen yeah, it. Yeah. No. Cujo. I, I thought the movie was pretty good, but the, the book, the book will, will get you. Okay. You're in, you're in the dog's head. Wow. Okay. You're, you're seeing everything. You're seeing everything through the dog's eyes. Amazing. Well, I mean, as, if he's, anybody- go, as he's going mad. Oh, okay. Well, if anybody is listening, has some fantastic horror book recommendations that you think would make all good audio books, let me know. Let us, I'm, I'm yeah. all about that. Well, we'll talk about it later in the week. Yes, ma'am. We will indeed. I'll, I'll, we'll chat maybe Thursday, Friday. Cool. All Sounds right, buddy. Good. Have a good day. Thanks. Talk to you soon. Cheers, man. Bye-bye. Bye. You can get in touch through our Facebook page or email us at stuartandtodd at gmail.com. Check the show notes for more information. If you enjoyed this episode, tell someone else and help us grow by sharing it on social media.